Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everyone. Appreciate you all tuning in to this week's episode of No Nonsense. We've got great stuff coming up for you. I just want to let you know before the episode begins that you might hear a, a, a loud sound Uh, coming from behind my audio in particular, and that is because for the first 15 minutes or so of the episode, I had a uh, box fan on behind me and didn't realize it. So just try to bear through that for the first 15 minutes. I've tried to edit it and make it as as bearable as possible, and just know that it doesn't last for the entire episode, and this doesn't usually happen. So again, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that's 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Borsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We would love for you to follow us on social media. We are at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. We would also love for you to subscribe or follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen. And we're on a bunch of them, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, I believe we're on uh, Spotify as well. And uh, also, if you're listening on iTunes, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review. Big win for the Titans in week one. They took on the Cleveland Browns and beat them by 30 points after their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, threw three interceptions in the fourth quarter. And the Titans quarterback, Marcus Mariota, threw three second-half touchdown passes. Let's start with that storyline, though, the one that I just mentioned, Marcus Mariota. Because as we all know, this is the year of Mariota for the Titans. It's his opportunity to answer the question of, is he the franchise guy? Is he going to get a franchise tag? Now, I think it's important for us to realize it's just one game, right? And as we've seen in the past from the Titans specifically, looking good in week one doesn't mean anything for the rest of the season. But in a performance yesterday where he wasn't exactly a world beater, as I mentioned, he did have three second-half touchdown passes, if yesterday's performance from Mariota is the standard, and, I, and I'm not claiming original on this. I, I heard this question. It's actually asked by a caller on, a, on the radio today, and I thought it was really interesting. So I'll bring it to us. Uh, if that is the standard, what Mariota did yesterday for the rest of the season, does he get a franchise tag slash extension? Absolutely. He completed a, a very good amount of his passes, had a, had a great yards per attempt. He looked good. He didn't make any mistakes, and he led his team to victory for the most part. So, I mean, that not that what we're all expecting of him? Yeah, I mean— if he does this five times during the season, he's going to get a big deal. Like, 
the bar is a lot lower than people think for what, you know, is a quote unquote franchise quarterback. But if the Titans have, you know, eight or nine games where he looks really solid and then sprinkled in there are games where he has three touchdowns and zero interceptions and is really efficient and just, I mean, looks like the guy we saw yesterday, then yeah, like absolutely. Also, I mean, and I don't want to go on another point of this, what we're going to talk about later, but he did it with scraps in front of, I mean, a right guard who uh, wasn't, I, I don't think, uh, played any games last year in Jameel Douglas. And then, you know, he has a left tackle who's really a right tackle, who's really their backup right tackle. I mean, it, it's not like he's doing this in a perfect situation either. And, and I, I think an important point to bring up, too, as we have the discussion about Mariota, is that the Titans' new offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, made his NFL play-calling debut yesterday and I thought it went pretty well. Yeah, I think pretty well might actually be an understatement. He he was very good. He, of course, he still had a couple of plays that he'd like back. Uh, but but given there are so many plays in, in in one game, you know, one or two is really nitpicking. I think the only two were he ran he ran on second and twenty uh, after after that AJ Brown long catch. Yeah. Uh, I think at the start of the second half, I think mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, because uh, Mariota so had a – they threw the long pass to A.J. Brown, and then yeah. Mariota took a sack, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that second and 20 run was infuriating. That felt like a Matt LaFleur play. And, and then he got lucky because Cairo Santos drilled his 53-yarder. And, and then the the only other play that I thought was, was really bad was that Deion Lewis, uh, like, kind of flare out on a third and two. That, that uh, was odd. That was like, a really weird play call. Yeah, I, and we talked about that earlier. Is I, I think what he was trying to do is set up like a, a fake screen like they do in college where you get kind of those illegal rub routes. I need to go back and look because I didn't pay attention to that play specifically. But I, there had to be something more to it or, or you know something they saw in practice where they're like, this should work because it, it was very out of character for the rest of the play calls. Yeah, I, I think they were just trying to get Dion. In one-on-one, in a one-on-one situation, which we, which apparently does not does not work. But yeah, regardless, figured- other other than those two plays, I thought he was really good. He used play action very efficiently, uh, although maybe one or two times too much. But some of his plays designs were fantastic. On, on that first Delaney touchdown, also on the second Delaney touchdown, also he was able to free up Delaney with some really good misdirection and, and get his guy open. Uh, in on two red zone plays, and we've seen how efficient and how how clinical uh, Mariota could be in the red zone. So pair that with some really good play design, and and I'm very excited to see what he has going forward. Yeah, you guys brought up Dion Lewis, and I want to have a, a conversation about him a little later. But while we're on the topic of Arthur Smith, I'd, I'd like us to to sort of break down what went well for him, because it's easy to kind of say, well, this play worked and this play worked, but kind of generally and philosophically. I, I think of two things that really, I think, sold me on Arthur Smith this week as someone who philosophically understands how to work an offense in the NFL. Number one is he threw the ball downfield. And I feel like this was a problem with Terry Robisky for the Titans back in the exotic Smash Mouth days. And it was a problem for the Titans last year with Matt LaFleur. Did they really not have any weapons to go downfield? Sure. But you got to go downfield. And right off the bat, Matt LaFleur, excuse me, Arthur Smith takes a shot to A.J. Brown, I believe, off a play action. And right there, you've got a 40-plus yard pass play to spark your offense. Now, that drive, I believe, 
ultimately ended in a field goal. The drive, the drive stalled. Uh, but Vrabel talked today in his day-after-game press conference about how important that was to kind of get a jolt for the unit as a whole. And then just throughout the game, they kept testing downfield and they kept making big plays. And I think that was that's a big key is, is he was willing to stretch the field and tell Mariota to kind of grip it and rip it. And then the other thing is I saw a lot less than what we saw last year of passes behind the line of scrimmage that aren't creative. Here's what I mean. The Henry screenplay, that's very creative play. It's very well-timed. The Deion Lewis play... Uh, you know, the, the one you were talking about that didn't really work. I, I get it. Maybe a little too cute. But at least it's creative. It's something unique. He also it, had a good, uh, real quick, he had a really yeah. good screen design to Deion Lewis, the one mm-hmm. that he dropped. Deion could yeah. have scored a touchdown on yeah. that play. And, and, those, and, the, and those are the kinds of screen plays you have to have when you want to talk about a screen game. Because I feel like far too often from the Titans with, with their most recent coordinators and play callers, we've just seen this, like, take the snap, throw a bullet right at the receiver's chest at the line of scrimmage and hope for the best. That's not a screen. That's just like a quick pass. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no deception behind a lot of those things. Uh-huh. Uh, we also saw him run a uh, tight end jet sweep, which was with Jonu Smith, which was really yeah, <laughs> I mean, Johnu like Johnu had it, and I was like, "Oh, who's like who's this running back?" And like, because he like immediately like ran through a tackle and got like nine yards, maybe ten yards. I don't know what they ended up calling it, but I mean, that was a good play. There was a play that nobody will ever see because it, it's the play where Mariota got sacked by the blitz and defensive back. But there's a screen called, which is why they got back so quick. But the way it happens is when you look at it. It's a, like a quick tight end screen. It's a fake uh, play action to the left, then not even a bootleg. It just looks like it's supposed to be like a turnaround and like immediately throw it. But he turned around and immediately had a guy in his face, so we had to take the sack. But, I mean, that was wide open almost as much as the Derrick Henry screen was. I mean, there was there was nobody there. And, you know, instead it turns into a negative play, and that sucks. But, I mean, there were two or three plays, like specifically screens attacking different parts of the field where – Smith clearly knew, okay, they think they've got our offensive line beat, so they're going to try to rush us as much as possible and be really aggressive. So we're going to have to incorporate a lot of screens into the game plan, and we'll take chunk shots here and there just so they know that they can get to us if they want to. But, I mean, really we're going to make a lot of hay, you know, on those deceptive play-action passes to the tight end, screen passes, and then the occasional, you know, set-up shot pass. I mean – it was a great play call. I mean, everything he did from how he adapted to what was working to how he, you know, kind of moved away from what wasn't. As specifically, we talked about Deion Lewis. I mean, I think he had six touches in the game, and I'm, I'm not sure, but I want to say that five or all six of them came in the first half. Like, it was, it was very well organized, and it, you know, I've seen Matt LaFleur call six, 17 games now, I guess, with what happened in Green Bay, and None of them have looked as coordinated as coordinated as this, except for maybe the Patriots game. I I think that's what I like the most about Arthur Smith so far. He hasn't forced anything in any of the preseason games or in this game either. He he hasn't like you know stuck to a certain philosophy like Matt Lafleur kind of did, and he's kind of given everyone you know it, it's it's a really balanced attack, and I I think the most not important, but something that that really inspires hope in me is that 
Titans offense looked really, really good. And it did so with Adam Humphreys catching one pass and Corey Davis didn't even catch a pass. So imagine once you get those guys going and then you can attack the intermediate level of the field, the short area of the field, and then get those deep shots in also. And then you have a really good running game that seems to be working well. Derrick Henry looked like the same guy uh, that we saw at the end of last year. So, I, I mean, this looks like a potentially top 12 unit on offense. And on that note, one last point I want to make about kind of the offense as a whole is, you know, for years we've heard this phrase come from the Titans building of like, well, you know, so-and-so players' involvement will be a week-to-week thing. And I get it, you know, that, that certainly a lot of players are game plan oriented. But the Titans are in a position now with the amount of weapons that they have where that can be a thing and work. As you mentioned, Adam Humphreys not only didn't catch a pass, played very limited snaps yesterday's game. Corey Davis didn't catch any passes. And you know what? The Browns have a pretty strong secondary. Demarius Randall, uh, you know, t- uh, the, the Ward, Ward, Denzel Ward. So maybe when he moved to a team that doesn't have as good a secondary, you bring out more of an aerial attack and you get Humphreys involved and you get Corey Davis involved. And because they've stacked up on weapons on offense, they're in a position to do that more. One of those off, one of those weapons is A.J. Brown, who had a spectacular debut, three catches for 100 yards. I think I sent you guys a message during the game. I said, A.J. Brown is a real wide receiver, and, and I totally believe that. He is a legit dude, and he proved it to me yesterday. Yeah, and I don't think anyone who actually watched him in college – is surprised he was one of the best wide receiver prospects to come out in the last couple of years just because he had that production he backed it up with a really nice athletic profile and he just had all the makings of a really solid kind of bulletproof foolproof receiver who it would have taken some weird circumstances for him to not pan out in the nfl and i'm not saying uh that that won't happen you know it's only been one week but he just looks like he belongs in the NFL. He's massive. He's rocked up. He has kind of deceptive speed, honestly, even though he ran a 449. Yeah. Uh, a 4.49 at his size, just the way he looks, it, it, it's kind of unfair. And he's really good at the catch point. And we saw what he could do after the catch uh, in, in this game, which is something that he did really well in college. Um, but he looks even better than, than I thought. I kind of compared him to Muhammad Sanu coming out, and I, I think he has a lot more a lot more upside uh, than that. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you kind of nailed it. Uh, I, I was going to compare him to Derrick Henry, and as you know, he's kind of one of those guys who you see in the open field, and you're like, why aren't people tackling him? And then you realize he's either dragging a guy for 12 yards or, I mean, he stiff-armed Terrence Mitchell, like, out of a job. <laughs> Like, I mean, he, like, ended that man's career. Like, he put his helmet <laughs> – like, and, and if you watch it on replay, it's like he Brown doesn't even care. It's like he, like, only kind of half-heartedly does it, and it, it – I mean, it's as forceful as a stiff arm as I've seen not from Corey Davis or Derrick Henry. I mean, it was embarrassing. And, I mean, he does it, and he never breaks stride. It never looks like he puts any effort into it. You know, some guys will kind of reel back, and they'll, they'll have to stop their forward momentum to try to get that hit in. I mean, he did it as he was running and as he was pulling away from linebackers. I mean, it was – it's impressive. I mean, it, I, I would be lying if I said that I thought he would be this good immediately. But, you know, it, it does make sense. I mean, it's everything we saw from him in college. You know, it, the only difference is instead of him doing it from the slot or, you know, as kind of a gadget like wheel route or whatever – 
it's just they're lining him up outside, and he's just winning. I mean, he's winning deep. He's winning at the catch point. He's winning in his routes. He's winning after the catch. He's winning when people are on his back. I mean, he's just everything we expect him to be and more. And like you said, like I don't want to make this like, okay, we've got the next, you know, Randy Moss or whatever. Like, he's he's not going to be that guy. Like, I still think he's going to be Anquan Bolden. And maybe a little bit thicker and a little bit faster, but he's still going to be Anquan Bolden type guy. But Anquan Bolden was a stud receiver. Like, that's not a slight. Like, but, you know, I think that's what he will be. And that's what we've seen. You know, now imagine what happens when they have Taylor Lewan and they're not afraid to take more passes deep. You know, it, it just, I don't know, it kind of meshes together with yeah. how well. Uh, Arthur Smith is calling it and how he's saying, okay, you know, you hear it a lot from other offensive coordinators where, you know, it's like, well, you know, matchups will dictate where we throw it. That was actually what was happening. And it's refreshing to see where there's not stupid play calls where you can tell that Mariota has been told like, okay, this is your read. And if it's not there, throw it away. And I mean, it all, it all flowed well together. So, you know, uh, big and, fan. And what I mean when I say that he's a, a, a real receiver is that he's an excuse to fire. Missed two weeks of training camp. Doesn't matter. Only got three targets. Doesn't matter. He's a rookie. He doesn't have great chemistry with Mariota yet. Doesn't matter. I feel like Titans fans have gotten themselves addicted to making excuses for skill position players because they've been forced to with guys like Kendall Wright and Dorian Green-Beckham and Tyrone Calico and Justin Hunter, and I could name ten more of those guys. But with A.J. Brown, it looks like no one's going to have to make any excuses because he's just good at football, right? Yeah, and it seems like he doesn't need any help being schemed open at all. He's just he's beating everyone with his route running. He, we he is the- better at football than the person lining up against him, and the Titans have not had that at a skill position ever since Derek yeah. Mason? Outside, outside of Delaney Walker. Yeah, like, yeah, that, obviously. That- well, I mean, that's kind of what we need to think about him. Like, it's like, you remember how dominant it was to watch Delaney Walker just absolutely destroy linebackers for five years before the Titans actually got a receiver? So, well, now they're on the same team together. And they also have Derrick Henry, who you have an offensive coordinator who knows how to use him and isn't going to be like, well, let's keep running, you know, trap and power, which aren't his game. And when you're that talented, we don't have to sit here and talk about route depth or communication or nonsense like that. Like, we're the no-nonsense podcast. That's nonsense. I think that route depth is the difference between Julio Jones and Tajay Sharp, right? It's not. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, I've I've been the Tajay Sharp hater of this podcast, but, I mean, the difference between him and A.J. Brown is just, it's a monumental gap in talent. And you see what a receiver who can get open so quickly and so efficiently can do for Mariota. And, and you know, one one of the things I liked listening to uh, to Jim Nance and Tony Romo talk about is they said that in their production meeting with Frable, they asked him, you know, so A.J. Brown missed two weeks at camp. Is he going to be a, a big part of the game tomorrow at all? And, and they said Vrabel's response was, uh, oh, yeah. Like, they know what they have in this guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome. Like, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it uh, because, like I said, I don't want to overreact. But it is nice to have two guys where when the ball is in the air, you're not like, okay, I saw 84 run this way, so I'm immediately scared that it's going to be picked off. Like, <laughs> yeah. either one of those guys can outjump 
it's seemingly anybody on the field. And if they really have that it's my ball mentality that they've been talking about, they can be dominant players. So, you know, it's one week. Let's, you know, let's kind of see what happens as, as the time goes on. But, I mean, it, he didn't have the toughest tests coming up. Like, Atlanta didn't, you know, didn't stop much, you know, and neither did uh, uh, the Colts. So, you know, it's not like he's got a murderer's row coming up and this was his easy layup. Like, this was a tough matchup. And the play where he gets uh, deep, he shakes Chubb. Like, or not Chubb, uh Oh, the corner they had Ward. Uh, he he just like completely like yeah burns him, and he's twenty or thirty pounds heavier than he is. And so, like you said, Will, it's a Pro Bowl cornerback. Like you can't make this. Well, it was the Browns excuse. <laughs> so one 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 or two last things from a recap perspective from the Cleveland game. I I, I kind of teased that we would talk about Deion Lewis. So let's talk about the running backs as a whole. Let's start with Lewis. I think it's a pretty simple discussion to have. I was hopeful that Lewis would be able to give the Titans some juice this year if he was used more effectively. However, I'm starting to understand why our dear friend Matt LaFleur did not use him effectively. It's because I don't know that there's that much talent there anymore. He's he's bad at football. There There's no beating around the bush. He lacks explosiveness right now. He doesn't look very quick or dynamic at all. Uh, he dropped a pass in, in yesterday's game. Uh, he doesn't really seem to be reading his blocks all that well. And even if he does, he just has no burst to get past the line of scrimmage. And since he's so small, he's not really a tackle breaker. But I don't know. It, it was two years ago with New England. I know I know it was in the Patriots system. But he, was, he had one of the best tackle breaking percentages in the league. He was one of the most elusive players in the league. And he comes to Tennessee, and it seems like he's just completely lost it all. Maybe it's age. I mean, he's getting up there. He's already twenty eight. Yeah. But, but I don't. I, I don't read, know, man. Read, read those stats you read to me before we started. Oh yeah, let me tell you a stat line. So he had three carries for seven yards, long of six. So that's good. And then he had three receptions for six yards, long of seven. So he had one for zero and one for negative one. Correct. Yes. And uh, the one for seven, I believe, was a dump off where it was on like third and 20 or something like that, where they were just trying to either set up for the field goal or punt or something. He can't. He was just the under. No, I mean, you're right, though. Like, he doesn't have any juice. Like, he just, I don't know if it's an injury or whatever he's dealing with behind the scenes. You know, you never know about that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's like he doesn't have the same conviction he used to like used to, he would put a foot in the ground and he would cut and go like, or he would shake somebody because he would cut back against the grain. Now it's like, you'll see him stop and he just stops completely. Like it's not like he's stopping and like immediately switching direction. He'll just stop and stop his feet. It's like his, his connect, uh, controller got disconnected. Like, I mean, he just like stops moving and then people wrap him up and it's like, what, I mean, what are you doing? Like, it's at some point, like, as a player, I would assume you have to know. It's like, okay, I've tried to shake this dude six times. Like, I, the seventh time, I'm just going to run and try to keep running straight and get two yards instead of zero. But, I mean, I don't know if that light's clicked on. I don't I don't know. Like, I and just don't understand what he brings to the team right now. Of the concerning things to come out of what was a great win for the Titans – one of them is obviously that this offensive line stuff is really going to be a problem for the next three weeks until Awan gets back, and they're going to have to keep coaching around that. But I think Lewis is another 
the other very concerning thing because if this keeps up, there's no – I mean, I, I'm not even going to say that there's no change of pace from Derrick Henry because I don't know that you really need one. I think that might be overrated sometimes. But if anything happens to Henry, or even if Henry just needs a breather, you don't have anyone that you can turn to that's going to – obviously no one's as effective as Henry. There's a reason that he's a starter and he's as, as good as he is. But there's no one to turn to if Lewis continues to be this ineffective. I agree, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jeremy McNichols is back on the team within the next couple of weeks, especially if Lewis plays this next week and, and does absolutely nothing with his touches because, I, I mean, I don't I don't think this coaching staff or this front office has been like, uh, I, I think they're okay with, with not giving guys touches who don't deserve it and, and not just, you There's know. A re- they were playing Fluel and ahead of Henry last year. Let's yeah, not forget that. that. I was yeah. just going to bring that up. Like, that like they've shown that they're not afraid to play, you know, whoever. Like it's not like when it was with Malarkey where it was like we paid DeMarco Murray X amount of dollars, whether or not he's being effective anymore is irrelevant. Like we've paid him and we're gonna play him. Like that that's not a thing. It, it, something else we need to talk about is that now uh, free agent contracts for veterans are week to week instead of guaranteed by the year. Uh, so for whatever reason, general managers like to you know, bring in free agents that are veterans now as opposed to before. So, you know, it may it may be a good time to bring back, back McNichols now. And also, uh, the Redskins healthy scratched Adrian Peterson, and apparently it caused, like, a big uproar in uh, Washington. Well, you know that's my favorite guy, player of all time. Say, so. like, guy, I guy is injured, like, though. He, he got injured yeah, again. Yeah, I, I saw that. But, I mean, like – you saw what happened with New Orleans. What was you don't it healthy scratch a Hall of Famer. You don't do that. No, I mean, it, <laughs> and you don't for the like. Apparently, the veterans in the locker room weren't happy. Did you see, did you see Jay Gruden's quote? No, what did he say? He was like, "If if we were going to run the ball fifty five times out of I formation, then yeah, Adrian Peterson would have been active." What? And I'm just yes. like, "What did he do to you?" <laughs> Yeah, it's that kind of like Malvin off that got uh, that got him basically to say like I don't want to play for New Orleans and got him traded or cut or whatever. But I mean, uh, if I was Adrian Peterson and like we know he's done it before, I would just say okay, like if I'm clearly the backup plan, there's ten teams in the league that would be lucky to have me. And if if I mean if I were the Titans, I'd be calling and say look like will you swap seventh round picks like we got this shiny new one from the Cleveland Browns for Taylor. Taylor and essentially trade him, you know, Taewon Taylor for Adrian Peterson and then get your, you know, your big upgrade. Yeah, like that would be such a great fit for what this offense wants to do. And it's not just a back where you're like, okay, that guy's going to come in and catch it because that's what he does. It's like, no, let Derrick Henry catch some balls in space because apparently it works pretty well. So, last thing from a recap perspective about this Browns game that I think we need to talk about is uh, the, the pass rush. Because this was one of my big keys to the Titans going from good to great, if you want to use that cliche, was that they had to be able to get pressure with four guys. And I've been asking that question you know, for, for two or three weeks to, to people within that building. I talked to Dean Pease about it. I talked to Shane Bowen about it, the offensive line, the outside linebackers coach. And I just kept asking, you know, are you guys going to be able to get pressure with four guys? And all of them were like, you know, we think we have the guys to do it, but we'll see when we get out there. And boy, did we see it on Sunday. Cameron Wake looked fantastic. Sharif Fitch had a sack, although it was – the legitimacy of that we could dispute at a later date. Yeah. Um, but but they did it, right? They were getting pressure with four guys. 
Harold Landry, I thought, did nice things, even though he didn't really appear on the stat sheet. And as, as I said before, you know, it'd be hard to do worse than what Morgan and Arakpo did last year before their respective retirements. But it looks like they've improved several notches from that with these new young guys outside of Wake, who's not young. Well, yeah, but if Cameron Wake keeps drinking from the fountain of youth every week, I mean, everything will be fine, right? He looks like he's... He, he looks was like he's 22 years old. Yeah. He looked he looked better than Miles Garrett did when they were both rushing the passer. Dude, I have not seen teams. so so that first sack that he had, the one with the, the that was a forced fumble from Landry too. Yeah. That is the I've never seen anything like that from a Titans player. Not from Harold Landry, not from anyone. He absolutely exploded off the edge. Yeah, he, I mean it was unreal. Yeah, it was it was insane. Like he that was behind the right tackle inside. had no shot. You could have had uh, uh, Anthony Munoz, the Hall of Famer from the Bengals out there at right tackle, and I'm not sure he would have been able to really do anything there. Yeah, agreed. So I, I feel very good about Wake and Landry as a starter. Sharif Finch looked good again. Yeah, he did get a sack, even though it probably shouldn't have been called. Uh, but he had one and a half tackles for loss also, and he got a QB hit also. So, I mean, he he's shown a little bit of pass rush juice to be that third guy. Uh, so I feel I feel okay about the edges. Uh, the interior, they were okay. They weren't getting too much pressure. Daquan Jones had half a sack. Uh, Casey, Casey didn't really do much. Uh, but I'm expecting him to get back going because he was injured in the offseason uh, and didn't come off the the pup list for, for a little while, I think. He didn't practice all that much. And I'm not entirely sure if he even – I don't even remember if he played in the third preseason game. So I think once you get him going along with Wake and Landry on the edges, you have a really nice – a really nice pass rush, and then you add in all these variables that Dean Pease has, has shown to be able to do with his blitzing. I mean, Jayon Brown had six sacks last year. Logan Ryan in this game had one and a half sacks, and last year he he had a bunch of sacks too. So, I, I mean, we're gonna be if we're able to ge- generate pressure with four rushers uh, on a week to week basis, it's gonna be huge. I, I don't expect it because the Browns' offensive line is is really trash. It, it, it's really bad, but. I mean, I, I feel good going forward about but the But you know rush. what? They took advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I feel like yeah. last year, even if they were playing a bad offensive line, they still wouldn't have done anything. Like, just, they took advantage of a bad situation, and I think they deserve credit for that. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, like, we, we should talk about it just in terms of context. I don't know the last time any Titans player, regardless of position, has had two or more sacks. and or, Sorry, not two or more. Two plus, uh, that's not even the right way to say it. Two and a half or more is what I'm trying to say because Cameron Wakehead is credited with two and a half sacks. I don't remember the last time anybody's done that for the Titans, much less to do it on 24 snaps. Like, it's it's a way of using a person that, you know, we've seen other teams like the Chargers brought in Dwight Freeney to do that and the Steelers had Harrison to do that. You know, you see smart teams who are playoff bound bring in these veterans and have them in very specific roles. And for the longest time we were told, no, like Wake's going to be a full-time starter, which we all agreed was a bad decision. And, you know, after seeing him yesterday, maybe he could do that. Like he looks great, but either way, if you're trying to get a 17 week, you know, 16 game season out of him, you know, this is the way you use him and to use him intelligently and for him to immediately, you know, fit into that role and do as well as he did is something that I don't remember any Titans player doing 
you know, in recent history. Like we've brought in guys like Walden to be like a specific pass rusher. And, you know, we've brought in those guys before. And at the end of the season, we're looking at a guy with four sacks and we're like, yeah, I mean, I guess that was fine. He's got two and a half in week one and he played basically a quarter of football. <laughs> yeah. It's staggering the difference. Let's talk a little bit about the Titans' opponent for Week Two, as they will try to go two and zero and get what would maybe be a two two game lead on the division, depending on how other things go within the division. Uh, they've got the Indianapolis Colts this week, as we know, they're without Andrew Luck. We're not going to sit here and talk about his retirement or anything like that. But purely from a Jacoby Prissett standpoint, what are some of the challenges that you think he presents? Because he's not terrible. I think it's all. It would be improper for us to be like, well, it's not Andrew Luck. Titans got this one in the back because there are things that Brissett does clearly that make it difficult for a defense. The I think his biggest positives are that he's really poised in the pocket. He doesn't really panic all that much, and he'll stay in there uh, if it is collapsing a little bit and and try to find a receiver. And the other thing is he's got a cannon, man. Like he can. He can zing in the ball. You saw it on uh, – no, they didn't score the touchdown, but he threw an absolute laser to Eric Ebron in the end zone, and Ebron obviously dropped it because he's really bad at football. But, you know, it's just those <laughs> types of plays <laughs> that he could do that, you know, it does present to you some problems. And given that the Colts O-line is significantly better than it was two years ago when Brissett was a starter – you know, it's it, it is a little bit concerning, but what doesn't concern you, it doesn't concern you because the Titans defense looks fantastic. They haven't skipped a beat and they made Baker Mayfield, who was on preseason MVP list. They made him look like like a, like a bad quarterback. So, yeah, that that makes me feel comfortable going forward. But I don't think you should say you should go into this game thinking that Brissett is just going to fold completely. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I think the Titans know that, and I think the Titans know, you know, they really want to get a win over the Colts in their house, especially after hearing, even after Andrew Luck retired, that the Colts were still the favorites for the division, or, you know, Peter King picking them to finish, like, all, all the stupid uninformed stuff that you see. Like, I don't think they're going to sneak up on anybody, and I think that's what happened to the Chargers. Like, I am not convinced that Brissett is a guy who, you know, is going to be that guy for anybody like every time like we everybody kind of reacts and says well you know he had to play as a backup and you know he didn't spend a full year in that scheme no like he spent a full year in that scheme like I, he played 16 games or whatever he played i mean like i think he played every game for the colts that season and if not it was because he got pulled late not because you know they had somebody else to start like I mean, we've seen a full sample size of what Brissett looks like, and we've seen it for a full season. Now, granted, you're right that, you know, he he does have a better offensive line. I would argue that the weapons are probably worse than they were before just because T.Y. Hilton's gotten older and he wasn't that effective when he had him, you know, the mm-hmm. in 2017. Yeah, and like, they just lost Funches. Who, yeah, they just lost bone. Funches. So... I mean, and they lost uh, Fountain, who is a guy they apparently was going to make the roster before, you know, the season started. But, you know, they just, you know, I don't know. Like, he still takes a long time to throw the ball. Like, he's not going to be that kind of quick bullet passer that, you know, Andrew Luck was. And and I I shouldn't compare him to Andrew Luck because, like we said, that's not really a fair comparison to, you know, compare anybody's backup to the starter just because they're different players and you've got to try to hit different things. But 
I don't know, like his stat line reads a lot better than he played and his stat line still only has him, you know, 190 yards passing. Like, I mean, he wasn't exceptional yesterday despite having two touchdowns because T.Y. Hilton did a lot of that work for him. And I mean, yeah, the Chargers have a good uh, defensive group of defensive backs, but everybody makes this big deal about it being on the road. It doesn't matter that it was on the road. Like, the Chargers have the worst home field advantage in the NFL. Yeah, there were so many Colts fans. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, like, it's awful. So, you know, I think these things are kind of getting played up too much. I think, you know, Frank Reich had a good game plan for how to attack the Chargers. I think the Chargers, once Brissett got announced as a starter, kind of pulled off the gas. And I think it's kind of a weird, perfect storm of, you know, a perfect game plan that could be implemented by anybody and that trap game kind of scenario that made this a lot closer than it would be. I I don't know. Like, Brissett will have to prove it to me because the defensive backs he went against in Tennessee in 2017 were a lot worse than what the Titans have now. Marlon Mack is someone that I have never really been a huge fan of. I, he, he does some things well. I think some people overrate him. But yesterday against the Chargers, he went off. This dude had 25 carries for 174 yards. Now, the longest of those carries was 63. But if you take that away, that's 24 carries for 111 yards. Or excuse me, 100, yeah, 111 yards, and that's without the home run play. So maybe this is a guy who's trending up. And the Titans have always done, I thought, an okay job of, of containing him, but with there being more emphasis perhaps on the run game, he's someone that you got to keep contained and you can't let him hit a home run. Yeah, he's someone I was going to mention when uh, Will was talking about uh, the skill position, uh, the skill positions being maybe worse than than Brissett had in 2017. Marlon Mack was on that team, uh, but it was Frank Gore who was getting a lot of the carries, and Marlon Mack has improved a lot. A lot of that is due to the offensive line being much better. They, they definitely open up more holes than they used to. And Marlon Mack, is, he's very improved, and they, they barely used him in the in the passing game, which we'll probably see a little bit more of. Um, so, But, yeah, he's definitely a guy that you need to take take account of he was really good at, in that week week 17 game last season uh they were able to to melt some clock and, and grind out a couple of first downs uh, behind him they gave him 25 carries he racked up 119 yards got a touchdown so he's some someone the Titans are familiar with but i i feel like now that they've kind of committed to him as, as the main guy he's got a lot more confidence in, in in his running ability uh which he showcased a lot of uh at usf he, he was one of the best running backs in the country so this isn't all too surprising for those who, who watched him in college yeah you know i've never really liked him that much coming out of college but he's i mean he's got juice like he's he's you know we talked about you know, different guys having bursts or, or whatever. I mean, he looks like he could be a real, like, stretch runner type guy. Like, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of kind of what we've seen from him just in terms of as much as I can be a fan of a Colts player. But, I mean, he look like he looks good. You know, I, I blame the Chargers defense a lot for it just because, you know, they, they've got – I don't want to say they have some of the worst linebackers in the league, but once you get past – you know, the edges and the defensive backs they have, the defense up the middle is not especially good. Um, so part of that lends itself to cutbacks and to zone run schemes that really hurt people because you really only have to block one edge guy. And then after that, you're off to the races. But, you know, 
I, I give him credit. Like it's it was an NFL football game, and he had a really good he had a really good day. And I mean, you could assume that the Chargers were going to definitely play, you know, against him harder, knowing that Brissett probably wasn't going to win the Colts the game. But you know, they couldn't stop him. So I, I'm interested to see how the Titans do because in Cleveland there were so many mouths to feed at wide receiver that you got the sense that you know, okay, maybe they're going to be aggressive and pass more, and that's what it seemed like. And Chubb never really got you know, to get super involved in the game. But, I mean, when when they did try to run the ball after that first drive, there really wasn't just a ton of space to do it outside of a few bounce-outs. But even those bounce-outs were usually holds that weren't called or holds that were called. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see what they can do against a team that kind of runs the ball a little bit differently. I just I just checked real quick. Uh, Denzel yeah. Perryman and Jatavis Brown both did not play. Uh, against the Colts in week one and those are their two starting inside yeah. linebackers so yeah something to keep in mind bit of a different yeah. challenge facing Jayon Brown and uh and Rashawn, and Rashawn Evans. Evans yeah yeah la- la- last thing about the Colts is I-, I feel like on defense they have some nice pieces Darius Leonard was a an all a Pro Bowl player last year uh Justin Houston has had one of the best you know sack seasons that we've ever seen and he's still a uh a decent pass rusher. Malik Hooker had a great game yesterday, really seems to be taking some steps forward a year removed from his ACL injury. But I feel like the place to attack this Colts defense is in the secondary, despite Hooker's presence on the back end, because I just don't know that there's much there. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, and most teams usually avoid Hooker. They don't really go deep all that much, but they do like to attack those cornerbacks uh, in the short and intermediate area. And and that's probably what the Titans are going to do. Uh, I'm expecting a good amount of Adam Humphreys in this game. Uh, Kenny Moore is a pretty good slot corner, but, uh, I mean, Humphreys, Humphreys is a fantastic route runner. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if him and, and Delaney Walker uh, are really used very heavily because, you know, I don't know. The Colts' run defense isn't all that good either. Justin Jackson was running all over them. And Eckler had a good game too. So yeah, uh, that's, I don't know. That's what I was gonna say is I was like, you know, like the the Chargers kind of murdered them with backs that really hadn't practiced like they were gonna be starter. Like I mean, like Eckler and Jackson are fine, but you know, uh, like I don't know, are they as good as you know not Deion Lewis but Derrick Henry? Like I think Eckler had something like three combined touchdowns, like two. I want to say two, two through the air. One, yeah, 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 that's what it was. It's two receiving and one uh, rushing touchdown. I mean, the, I mean, they ate him up, kind of however they wanted to. So I, I think, again, like I, it's so early in the season. I don't want to say anybody's necessarily like a really bad team or a really good team, but defensively, I think if you can block. Uh, Justin Houston, and I think I think if you can not throw it to Hooker, which is a problem because he's super rangy and one of the best like free safety prospects I've ever watched in college. But I mean, if you can keep it away from those two, like you're fine. Like Darius Leonard is okay. Like, I mean, like he he had a really good year last year, and he may be really good, but I mean, he wasn't particularly great yesterday. Like I, I I'm obviously still out on him. Like I kind of want to see what happens, but. I mean, with how your team played against a much better def- like front seven, I mean, I think I think you go into the uh, the week saying, okay, let's see if we can do the same thing with play action and passes to the tight end, and then if they give us something at corner, we attack that. But let's stick to where we're strong until they take it away from us. All right, we're going to close the show now, as we always do with our stop the nonsense segment, where we take a look at the dumbest takes 
from Sports Media of the Week. Uh, this is a segment, again, we do this every week. If you have a submission, we'd love you to send it to us uh, at NoNonsensePod on our Twitter account or on Facebook. You can send us a message there, too. Use the hashtag StopTheNonsense. I know we got some submissions from for this week. We'll take a look at those after we give ours. Uh, but before you give your submission, in addition to, to your submission for Stop the Nonsense, I'd like you to also answer one question, and that is, what's one thing that the Titans did well against the Browns that if you could just pick one thing to carry over for the rest of the season? Will, we'll start with you. Oh, am I answering that, or are you wanting the fans <laughs> to answer that? No, I'm wanting you to answer that. The, oh, three, of okay. us are, the three of us are going to t- give a bad take and then yeah. t- t- answer that question. Okay. Uh, so the bad take is uh, Mike Clay, y'all may know, does projections for teams. And, you know, for whatever reason, people swear by him and they think they're just, you know, the end-all, be-all. Well, for the Titans games, he gave uh, Cleveland a 62% chance to win and, you know, favored them by a pretty heavy margin. And, okay, like I, that, that in itself I don't think is a dumb take. But for the course of the season, he has some really low numbers on players that I think should be a lot higher. And I just want to kind of – now that we've seen people play, I want to bring up some of the numbers he has and kind of where I where I want to kind of pat myself on the back and say, you know, his was a nonsense take. So I'll start with uh, Delaney Walker. He has him for four receiving touchdowns this year. Obviously, Walker already has two. Uh, Derrick Henry, one receiving touchdown this year. Uh, obviously he already has it. Uh, the defensive backs, it like is really what kind of, and I don't want to say upset me or triggered me or whatever, but he had the, uh, the five starting defensive back. Oh, sorry. The five starting corners, like I'd say starting quote unquote, uh, the, the three top guys. And then the backups, he had them combined for 5.3 interceptions, uh, Dory Jackson at 1.7, Logan Ryan 1.6, Malcolm Butler 1.9. So, um, so why are people uh, being asked to make predictions for things that they don't understand? Yeah, it's, it's right. like it, it's to the certain point where I, you know, it's just so asinine. And then like he had Kevin Byard at 3.3 interceptions. Like the, there's all these things that like I get if you want to say regression to the mean, but when the mean is much higher than where you're putting people, it. I just don't understand it. Like, there was never any doubt that they were going to face a lot of passing teams. There shouldn't have been any doubt that Derrick Henry would get a rushing or a receiving touchdown just because it's kind of his big contract year. There shouldn't have been any doubt that Delaney Walker would be productive. And yet, here we are. Like, I mean, we saw it all offseason, and it, it was hard to find somebody who'd given out real takes for every specific position for me to kind of pick at. But if you're not a big name, like, and you don't like, and you play on a team like the Titans. You may be in the top of their chart, like they have Jarrell Casey, like leading the defensive lineman in sacks, which is fine. Like, if you're not a big name, you're just not going to get credit. And apparently, like, I'm sure this will get washed away and buried under other tweets. And you know, if I retweet it, nobody will pay attention to it because Titans fans are just kind of happy with winning and not mad. I mean, Titans fans need to be mad about this stuff. This one of the reasons why we started this segment is because people need to be held accountable for bad. Exactly. Take. It's and not I mean, so much that people need to get mad. It's that people need to be held accountable for stupidity. Yeah, exactly. So that's as far as my bad take goes, just go look up Mike Clay's projections that he did at the end of September and kind of keep them, keep them close and look at them every week and realize, you know, there are people who, you know, and I, I hate to say it like this, but there are people who get paid to do this, who 
very obviously don't pay attention or whatever metrics they're using obviously don't translate. Um, and if I could pick one thing that the Titans did well, uh, it, it's tough because I, w- I want to say, you know, get into the quarterback because I think that's how you win or lose games. But I think that's so hard to say in a league full of matchups. Yeah. So uh, what I'll say is I just want to keep seeing Dean Pease adjust the way he always has. And I mean, after that first drive, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know you you know I was mad because I thought they gave up a lot of free yards, and I thought that would be something they did throughout the day just to kind of stop the bleeding. But I mean, after that first drive, there was no like death by a thousand cuts or you know Ben don't break. Yeah, it was it was okay. We've seen what they're going to do. Now we're going to adjust to it and try to take it away. And it's up to them to readjust their game plan after we take it away. And Freddie Kitchens very clearly wasn't up to the the task, and Dean Pease was. So one thing that I would take away is just Dean Pease's ability to game plan and then adapt immediately and shut people down. Matias, take it away. So my bad take comes unsurprisingly from Jason Whitlock, who I don't know how he still has a show (laughs) on. I don't know how he still has a show on Fox Sports. Well, does he still do the uh, the afternoon show that on? It's like a roundtable with Cowherd and all those guys. For yourself, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, this guy is just a bad take machine. But a couple days ago. He, he tweeted, investing my 401k on the Steelers' money line tomorrow. God <laughs> don't like ugly. Belichick and Brady are done. Toast. Steelers oh, no. <laughs> I mean, how how dumb can you be I to mean, really what? think that Belichick and Brady are done? I, I will stop believing in the Patriots when one of the two of them retires. Seriously, plus the game was in New England. In week on, one, on Super Bowl unveil the 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 banner night. Yeah, I don't I don't understand. The Steelers ha- haven't beaten the Patriots in New England since two thousand eight, and they've lost six of the last seven games against the Patriots. Why would anyone ever bet against the Patriots? Ever tweet that? Just think, just think it, and just just don't put it out there in the world. <laughs> All right, well, so. Well, also, my uh, my thing I would like to see throughout the season is Mariota looking comfortable. Uh, I really liked seeing that in week one. And I, I thought he looked relatively comfortable outside of yeah. a couple of throws where he kind of threw off his back foot. But but I think that was happening because the Browns were getting some, some really good pressure uh, because the Titans were starting Jameel Douglas and were without Pro Bowl left tackle Taylor Luan. So I think once Luan is back and once we get that right guard situation fixed i think going forward mariota is going to look really really comfortable in this offense that has put him seems to be putting him in in a really good position so my uh my stop the nonsense this week comes from uh andrew siciliano from nfl network after all the uh, Antonio Brown stuff had kind of happened and he had gotten signed by the Patriots, and I, I don't need to rehash all that he did. I'm sure you, you guys know about the helmet and the cryogenic therapy and all of that. But Andrew Siciliano tweets, What a horrible lesson for kids. Feel free to at me. I don't care. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add him through, through our podcast. And I'm just going to say what my man Max responded to his tweet with, at Point Spread Max on Twitter. He said, teams aren't trying to teach kids life lessons. They're trying to win championships. The Patriots have six of them. And I couldn't stand, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. 
Like, one of the things with sports and with the NFL that I just can't stand to hear is when these people make that argument of like, well, so-and-so's a bad role model. So That's not their job. Like, number one, professional athletes don't care. They, they Again, they want to win championships, they want to do their job, and they want to go home. They're not trying to set examples for kids. And number two, why are parents expecting athletes to set an example for their children? Like, that's what teachers are for. That's what parents are for. That's what, and if you don't have parents, that's what maybe people at a community center are for. That's what, that's, that's what a coach is for. Not some professional athlete that you watch on TV. I don't know. That just really frustrates me. That whole idea that athletes are supposed to set an example for kids. Uh, and By then the I, way, you could do a double with, with the Tony Dungy comments. What did Tony about- Dungy say? He said the same, pretty much the same thing that it sets a bad example for the Patriots signing Antonio Brown. Uh, and what the example being what that the that NFL Robert is a, the, the example. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, no, I'm, I'm getting too just, fired up. He completely disregarded the fact that Robert Kraft was in a horrible scandal this offseason with that Asian parlor, Asian Asian massage parlor, and just completely overlooked it. And it's just. It's the worst, man. It's terrible. So, um, my outrage over this, I, I just, I, I don't understand it. Because the NFL, the, the message that it sends is this. The NFL is a meritocracy. And, and I tend to believe, for the most part, that life is and should be a meritocracy. And so, the message that it sends is if you're really, 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 really good, and Antonio Brown, if he retired today, would be a Hall of Famer, if you're that good... Your conduct, unless you're a criminal, doesn't matter. That's the message, and it's a true one, right? Yeah, I'd say so. And and the thing that I think should carry over, I was going to say Mariota, but I'll, I'll go with this since you said Mariota, uh, establishing Derrick Henry and getting him going. Because even if you take away the 75-yard catch, he was still very effective on the ground. I believe he was... Uh, if he wasn't over 90 yards, I think he had 89. I don't have the number 84. right in front of me. 19 for 84. Yeah, that's a great performance from Henry. And I think you got to continue to get him going. And, and by the second half when he was going, he was ripping off, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-yard runs consistently. And that's what you need because uh, historically Mariota has always been a, uh, a better quarterback when he has a run game to go along with. Yeah, and I, th- I, I think what, what, was, what was good about Henry is that, you know, he's so for so long been a home run hitter. And in this game, he kind of sprinkled, he sprinkled in that home run with the 75-yard play touchdown. Uh, but he also he was churning out really nice four, five, six-yard gains, which is what an offense really needs to thrive. So uh, a couple announcements as we close out. I just got the, uh, the, the weekly press release email from the Titans, and I have intel on who is singing the national anthem for the home opener. Are you ready? Yes. Taj George, Eddie's wife. Really? Yep. Nice. You know, I, I only know this about her because I'm a big fan of the show Survivor, and she played on the show and actually oh. uh, finished fourth place. She was one place out of making it to the uh, the final episode. Uh, but they talked a lot in that show, obviously, about her being married to Eddie, but she was like a teen pop star. Oh, really? I yeah. had no idea. So, uh, so, so that's really cool because, obviously, Eddie and, and Steve McNair are having their jerseys retired at halftime. 
And also to go along with that, the uh, the honorary 12th Titans to, to stab the sword, it just says former teammates of Eddie George and Steve McNair. So I imagine we'll see guys like Kevin Dyson and uh, Blaine Bishop, people like that. Nice. And we also dodge a bullet this week. No Boger ball yet. No Jerome Boger quite yet. Cleet Blakeman will be the referee, who I think is one of the one of the more tolerable refs in the NFL. Yes. Uh, that that's going to do it for us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back next week to recap Titans versus Colts and to preview uh, Thursday night football. I'm not really sure when that episode will come out yet. It won't be on Wednesday, obviously, because that won't be enough time. Uh, but we'll get that all figured out and uh, get you an episode at some point next week. Uh, but for Matthias and Will, I am Luke. Thanks again for listening. And to close, I will remind you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.